0: Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Swim Brief. The gang is back together. The summer is coming soon to an end. Kids are back in school. And so here we are gathered together once again. Eric Wyken from deep in the bowels of Texas. I don't know what I was going to say there.
1: Well. Oh. Yeah, sometimes it does feel like that. It's warm as a bowel. Yeah, sometimes it feels a little closer to the exit than the entrance, but definitely.
0: (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Shallow in the bowels of Oregon, Joe Rollins. (laughs) Hey, good to see you guys. Yeah. I've always been kind of a shallow bowels guy.
2: That's me. As far as I know. It's on my resume, yeah. I don't
1: know if that if helps. I, I want yeah,
2: right, to get that updated. So, yeah. It's the only thing I've got that. anymore.
0: I wouldn't leave with
2: that. Of, um, <laughs> it's in there somewhere, I guess. Okay.
0: 2011 <laughs> to 2022,
2: shallow. Yeah. 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 Well, actually. All the way to 20. Yeah. 2022. Yeah. About four <laughs> years worth, I guess. There's nothing else to put in there. So, yeah. So the hot topics today. Yeah chris you, you know you had so many ideas coming in so it's hard we to had, hard to kind we had a,
0: i just want to start by saying we had a great idea that joel ruined because he yeah. said he needed time to prepare for those of you who are listening that's me doing air quotes and mocking my co-hosts for wanting to i don't know spend a semblance of time I'm getting ready
1: a, i'm not an encyclopedia
2: of swimming knowledge like yeah if, for like your
1: Chris, for, for
2: your your top 18 and under swimming performances idea so so my 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 version of um time to prepare that means maybe in two three days you'll forget about this topic and i don't have to talk about it right right. so yeah right. so you, you 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 haven't really deciphered the code but i think <laughs> i think you're on to the front end when you realize well, he's not preparing anyway well no, there's so now stalling yeah
0: now we're teasing it on the pod so we're accountable so Check back in a week because we're going to have a fantastic podcast for you where we unveil our Mount Rushmore yeah. of top junior swimmers ever ever and maybe even yeah. we'll do both genders in in the um in the current rule of the algorithm, which is please find a way to mention David Popovich on your podcast and it'll get. 10,000 times as many views as your average
2: one. So, so when you're, you're leaving us with absolutely no topic to talk about, today. I actually thought about something with with David Pavich. So like last time we, we spoke, actually they had, um, there's a few good comments in the comment section about like, you know, about that loping stroke that he has. And so yeah. I started kind of thinking about that a little bit. And the idea like in his race, how he's able to maintain his distance per stroke on the back half is, is pretty incredible. It'd be nice to actually have the, the numbers that go along with that but it's it, you know just just the eyeball test of watching that because you see I mean we've always been told about how you know maintaining distance per stroke is always the the key element of sprinting and you've got a couple of that obviously with your cycle rate and generally the the distance per stroke goes down cycle rate has to go up and I've been thinking about with that loping stroke I'm wondering if, if it's a couple things that go on there where you've got uh obviously it, as as the race goes on too, your breathing rate typically goes up. And there's got to be like an optimal rate of inhalation, an optimal rate of exhalation to also time in with the optimal you know cycle speed that, mm-hmm. that you're racing with. And that's the kind of the cool thing about swimming is the idea that obviously there's no other sport that has these um these these moments where there's absolutely no breathing going on, or having to time your breath into you know, the aerobic the, the component of it. And it's, it's, so you're, you're breathing in within the, the, the tempo of the stroke. And so it, it might not be optimal for and So maybe this looping stroke creates a little more time for that inhalation and the exhalation. But then I started looking even further into it a little bit like, because like the thing Bloomer used to always say is, you know, look in nature, if, if you don't see it in nature, then you're probably not going to work for humans in an athletic event. And so we're always thinking aquatic things like a, like a swimming fish or something. Generally they don't have like a loping movement. Um, But I mean, that that's the key is, is we're not aquatic. They don't need to breathe above the water. (laughs) Right. We're we're, we're pretending to be aquatic animals. It's the best we can do. We're we're hoping to kind of get close to it. So if you look at any other animals, like, you know, like a a horse trot kind of thing where there's kind of a loping movement to it. So we're looking into that and they measured that, um, horses like a, a, like a certain trot use 33% less energy for that, that same kind of speed. And so I'm wondering if there's an energy component. So like there's all these different layers that kind of start to mesh where you're conserving energy, where you're optimizing the the amount of time you need to inhale uh, and then also optimizing the amount of time you need to exhale. And the other part about swimming, which is something like no one seems to really bring up is that exhalation is, is so huge in, in just the, you're regulating the, bat, the acid-base balance, but also the fact that no one mentions is you're breathing against pressure. You know? mm-hmm. And I think that's why like, you know, when they do running, they'll fit you up with like, a, a, a breathing valve and just have you run on a treadmill and reg- measure CO2. The thing is with swimming, if you do that, now you're no longer breathing against pressure. Right. And, and so it's different you know so the intercostals and things are always being activated to, to exit because so, you have to force out the water a little more the, the, this, a really important, sorry. this
0: is a really important point i'm just going to interrupt you because you have talking for a while and i, I want your audience I boring, to hear. Everyone? no yeah. no no i actually want oh, okay. people to understand the point that you're making there when you talk about pressure you know so when you're standing on land you you exhale really naturally because right. of the it's difference passive. in pressure between what's inside your lungs and what's outside your lungs. Yeah. But that changes when you put those two lungs into a body of water,
2: right? Exactly. Yeah. So okay. what becomes passive now has to be at least somewhat active. Right. And, and, and so that's the interesting thing is when you see like Papa beach underneath the water, looking at, at the air that he's displacing just by, by exhaling. Yeah. You know, and that was a thing, too, we've seen like with Ledecky, you know, in her swimming, too, and, you know, before the Olympics, like just just how powerful she was on that aspect as well, which is kind of a weird thing to call powerful. Like, wow, it's really working. Or she really exhales. Yeah. But but that's that's such a key <laughs> part of it, you know. And, and so that's that's the part of really being kind of stumped on here with, with that loping kind of a stroke or the gallop kind of stroke. And we've seen that a lot with distance swimmers and sometimes freestylers. You know, one of the things, as we pointed out, was like uh, Papavich's loping stroke kind of comes from him riding on that that opposite arm that he breathes. So if he breathes right, then he's kind of riding on that left arm a little bit longer like that. So he gets up a little bit higher and kind of creates that bounce. But one of those where you're like, you know, is that something that you teach? Is that something you just kind of allow to develop? You know, because if you start to try to teach it, now you're teaching it based on like, you know, whose optimal inhalation rate, you know, versus... Uh, allowing it to develop. But again, is it allowing it to develop at a point where they're just like, you know, they, they really shouldn't be on their side that long. And so that's why it's, it's such a fine line at, at what level you kind of allow kids to experiment and try to hash that out.
0: Right. And I mean, I think Eric, like you were going to come on here and talk about something that I think, you know, uh, yeah, all of back, that. In, back in the day when I saw him still Um, I always like to do too, which was just try stuff out myself. So you've been actually playing around with the loping stroke.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I actually had been thinking about it for a couple more days than I actually went through with it. Just trying to think, just think about as I was swimming normally, which recently hasn't been all that great. Uh, but just trying to wrap my head around the benefits of it, stuff like that. And then yesterday, uh, so bear in mind, I'm trying to get back into what would be uh, a, a consistent level of swimming and training and stuff like that. So about halfway through my, my daily swim, yeah, I thought to myself, well, I'll, just, I'll do three sets of three 100s yards, freestyle on 130, 50 easy kick on my back, not really in an interval. Um, so maybe about two minutes. Um, and then just kind of go through the first two rounds as I normally would, which always starts with a much better rotation and, and evenness, the, evenness and stroke, and then it just kind of careens downhill on the back half of each of those. Again, still not doing very well in shape, but um, just
0: so set the scene for us. Like, what does your natural freestyle look like? Like, what when what, tried, what you default I, do? What does that look
1: like? You think it's. It's not a loping freestyle. So the idea is to try to keep the stroke consistent and rhythmic, um, albeit mostly breathing on the right at this point. Okay. Um so, but I am so I am it's weird. My right side on my freestyle is my stronger side. Um I do right with my left. I do a lot of fine finer movements with my left side. The right side is more the power I throw right. Um So it's, I guess it's a little bit, maybe I'm more leaning towards being able or should be doing a a loping stroke because of the, what I can feel in the water is a strength discrepancy from the two sides. So somebody like that may truly benefit from it. Obviously you wanna not have a bunch of irregularities in in your strength uh, from side to side, but um, you know from from what I can tell in, in on that last, as I went through the set trying to swim the hundreds even pace. So mentally, I was mentally, I was negative splitting, but physically I was even splitting these hundreds. So it was just like, for whatever reason, you know, the effort, the first 50 is always easier. Right. So just Mm -hmm. trying to maintain integrity and then try to push through it and keep the second half, which was working. And then when I got to the third round, the first one of the three, I swam like I did the first two rounds because I knew the first one was going to be a bit easier. And then I was like, okay, round two, Number two, number three in that last set, I'll, I'll try a light lope. It wasn't Jason Lezak, Michael Phelps, University of Michigan style stuff back in the 90s kind of lope. But I, I was making a conscious effort to have some kind of shallow rhythmic lope to it. And I was not putting in any extra effort to maintain my velocity, or at least it didn't feel like. It didn't feel like my exertion went up a significant amount but I was going from like 107 high to going to 105 just by going into a loping stroke and then end up being like 104 on the last one, 104 high. Some of the things I noticed while going through with it is a lot of stuff that Joel alluded to. We had an anonymous commenter on the video who said he was an age grouper, but had some really profound thoughts on how it related to butterfly swimming
0: and as i was and his name was gynecologist
1: yeah yeah so it was just like a <laughs> so, weird, so it was, a weird. it was so all together to
0: extremely him. confusing yeah
1: so shout out to him for being a, a master swimmer age grouper with the, <laughs> the handle to gynecologist commenting about something kind, somewhat theoretical and actually really quite plausible yeah. um yeah. so he he talked about how that loping could be much more associated with butterfly and fly movement and dolphin kick. And as I'm going through this stroke and I'm trying to put my mind in that comment as like, well, this actually does feel like a very shallow butterfly. It just happens to be that I'm doing one arm at a time. And it's just a little bit of a different rhythm and approach to it. Um, I, you know, I found myself being able to clear the water so much easier into the breath um, just because I was, so I was taking that inhalation, and I was holding it as I was re- as I was essentially rebounding in and off the water. Which Joel, I think you kind of did a to display this at UW Milwaukee, where you pushed the water polo ball down and forward, and it kind of bounced out in, in front, uh, kind of just as an example of of the lungs and their their relationship with the water. So it felt like to me like I was I was able to like I said, get into that breath a little easier, rebound. And as I'm holding my breath, I'm pushing down and forward onto that water, which is essentially helping my weaker side get through that side of the stroke so I can get it out of the water and get it back over and maintain that rhythm. Um, it really did feel like I was higher on the water. It felt like the effort that I was putting in was, it did feel lighter and obviously based upon the clock and it was going faster. Now, my effort did go up, but you just kind of have to take my word for it and that my incremental increase in effort didn't seem as much relative to the change in my velocity and my ability to finish the 100. So two seconds faster, but just the way that I was able to come into the final wall of both 100 number two and 100 number three felt felt a lot different and one of the other things i noticed and then you guys can talk as little or as much as you want about it is that on i can't remember which one of the two 100s on the back end which one of the 25s i tried to start with a normal breakout like i was earlier in the set versus getting into the lope right away and that was really difficult it i I could tell that it took me at least one full cycle if not two to get into that lope stroke again. So going right for my breakout and immediately transitioning into that stroke right away, if it, if I didn't do that, it was, it was it took more effort to get to that point and then be able to maintain that velocity. So it was just like, get it going right away. And then just ride it
0: now. Joel, do you think the point of that story was to teach us something about loping stroke? Or do you think Eric wants us to know that he's in his 40s and training inconsistently but can still push 104s in practice? What do you think?
2: Uh, I had to
1: float really long after that last one. <laughs>
2: yeah. Joe yeah,
1: yeah. sh- shared us a, a set where he went a 50 on 35 as one of his intervals. Don't think I didn't forget that. <laughs>
2: How did, how, did the, how did we end up here? I'm sorry. I must have blacked out. I, mean, I thought we were. I I'm trying to like, <laughs> I, I see that. I see that. So I, I think what basically what you're saying is like, like if you have that loping stroke, maybe it kind of creates that harmonic movement. I remember, mm. I forgot when it was, but maybe it was the, the early 90s or late 90s, something like that, where uh, in Japan, they were really experimenting a lot with um, kind of like a harmonic freestyle, harmonic backstroke. Where they had a lot of bounce to it. And then everyone is like, oh, this is ridiculous. But then it's one of those things where I think a lot of times when people see something new, they're just like, you know, it doesn't fit into my paradigm. That's the dumbest shit ever. We're not doing it. And but I think there, there might be something in there, too, that that really, again, when you experiment out, you find these things out. And so like that, that like a basically like a single arm freestyle is kind of could, could be something where single arm, not freestyle, but single arm butterfly in a sense, kind of you have that harmonic movement, which might help with. You know, decreasing you know, the, the amount of heartbeats you need for the same kind of uh, velocity. And so you, you see that, like, obviously, we, we transferred to the underwater kicks. Part, part of it was, you know, the, the, the drag underneath the water. But the other part was you covered more distance with two, three dolphin kicks versus six strokes. So you're basically exiting with a, with a lower heart rate. Maybe part of that is just the harmonic mo- movement is less, um, less force producing, which would be less lactic acid producing. And so maybe you can hold off, you know, generating you know a certain amount of lactic acid by kind of doing a harmonic freestyle or a harmonic backstroke. Or also I was kind of thinking where you you see a lot of coaches kind of try to tie in like that opposite arm, opposite leg kick thing, or maybe that, and that was the thing we talked with. Um, uh, I, I I have Juga, trouble with the guys. Juga. That, yeah. Yeah, Juga was saying where basically it's kind of like crawling where an infant crawls right, right arm forward, left leg forward versus the infant they would crawl right arm and right leg at the same time, kind of the parallel movements like that. Yeah. And so I wonder if that looping stroke kind of kind of rides the balance of both of that, where you're kind of sinking in the opposite side of your body into the arm catch, and therefore tying your whole body into it. And they always talk yeah. about core yeah. getting a involved. a much better in it.
1: connection. Well,
2: yeah, connecting the whole body with it. Yeah, no, sorry, I think there's ahead. a there's God. a
1: cost benefit to it too. Yeah, right, like, right. There's one thing to be a huge load when you go so yeah. deep there's too much to carry up so sure. Sure. it seems like for anybody especially a guy like uh, Popovich who rides really shallow given his stature like there's just not a lot of him to sink right. so he's really kind of skipping across the surface of the water like a stone
2: yeah which is like uh, uh, Eric's uh, woman in uh, Sweden, Sostrom, same thing where they have, they ride naturally very high in the water there, there's did you get called really
0: Eric's different- woman in Sweden? <laughs>
2: Yeah, air, 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 swimming. Yeah, yeah. The one who's like, always like, like, hey, hustle, like Sarah's like, just sort just one yeah, of Eric's taken. girlfriends or something. She's, she's uh, like, taken. Unfortunately, she's taken. Uh, you can keep keep dreaming. But um, you know, I think part of it is like if you look at um swimming more like like if it was like skateboarding or something, where you already have the body moving through the water at a certain rate, you don't have to keep on you know digging in and, and it's like starting fresh each impulse. It's like you have an impulse. The, the, the object's already moving, so the body being the body of the skateboard or the body in the water, the single arm impulse is just to maintain the velocity or actually in some ways like just so you're not decelerating as much. You're just trying to maintain it. And so if a, a single harmonic movement or that timed-in loping stroke is enough to kind of keep the body moving at that velocity, it might take a lot less energy than always thinking like, you know, you've got to plant and drive really hard and, again, creating more force than is needed to maintain a tempo.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing that I thought about in listening to both of you talk, like, I, I think there's a point that runs through both of both of you you talking about this. Um, and that is, I, I think just in general, naturally, as human beings, we tend to value symmetry, you know, like, it's, right, you know, people who are thought of as beautiful have, you know, the most perfectly symmetrical faces et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's something, there's some aesthetic quality, I think, where as swim coaches, maybe we lose our minds a little bit and we think we're synchro coaches because we're going like, that looks good. So therefore that must be what makes people swim fast. And all these asymmetrical, imbalanced movements look ugly to us. So we think, well, those must be bad because they're ugly. But the truth of the matter is you have all these people and Eric, I think you did a great job pinpointing how sort of asymmetrical, a natural human body is. It's not perfectly symmetrical. So why would you move it in a perfectly symmetrical fashion um, if you have these sort of strength imbalances, motor imbalances in the way that you move? Maybe the ideal way for you to move is completely asymmetrical.
2: Yeah, at least part of it is like with, um... yeah. Like uh, my wife and I went to Tanzania years back, and so you just watch watching like you know a herd of animals moving or something like that. You see how again the ones that are something that you, we look at asymmetry is as basically like a sickness or illness because right away your eyes are drawn to whatever animal is kind of lagging at the back of the pack that's asymmetrical, and I think that's that kind of ties in with that where again that stands out. And so you see a group of swimmers going there's There's always something that stands out, and generally for us, there's something that stands out at the front of the pack, something that just looks right and moves different. And then there's always something at the back of the pack where it's like, oh, this this just this isn't doing it where there's just way right. too much energy going in for so little so little payoff at the end. And so, yeah, I think that's the things we're always trying to like make one thing look like the other. Versus allowing something to happen. And I think like, again, you look at like age group coaches, like the first thing you're telling every kid, hold your head still, you know, and, and no, we never like say, okay, no, we, we've accomplished that. You don't have to stop holding your head still. So, I mean, from the time they're like six until they're in master. So I mean, they're really focused on holding their head still. We're like, you know what? You don't have to be that still. It's like, let's let's realize like if you're walking and you hold your head still, you look like an idiot. You know, right. it, it's like there, there's a, there's an amount of, of fluid movement that goes even in in, a, in something that looks like it's still. And so that's the thing is allowing that fluid movement to happen with the athlete and allowing them, again, to develop their, their stroke as it goes. But again, part of that is that fine line of like, what is it in there that's, you know, that, that that's not going to help them down the road? And what is something that might be something that could really enhance their swimming down the road?
1: That's yeah. funny because it's such an oversimplification of something but you are trying to do keep your head still. Sure. But it's way more, it's way more complicated than that statement. And a lot of aging coaches don't realize that like your neck and your shoulders and everything are moving in order for that head to be still. It's like the same thing of keeping your eyes forward and moving your head and still having your eyes in the same place. It's like, there's a lot yeah. that goes into it instead of just saying to a seven year old, just keep your head still and, and everything will be fine.
2: I remember I had like a, a six-year-old kid all the way through when she was 13 14 she's a really good butterflyer and um i remember like you know when you're literally like you know get your head down you know because you to it's like and so from six seven eight it was perfect it was like everything looked great and then also nine 10 she got her chin or she was like what do you do? it's like well she was really intelligent she's like get back up on i was six she said get my head down so she just kept on doing it until all of a sudden like well that's that's way too far okay we got right. so so let's <laughs> let's let's bring it let's bring it back to the realm of uh something functional but but that's the thing is when you're when you're only talking about place and that place really has nothing except for your visual uh, uh on them you know it's like you're watching a kid swim when they're in a horizontal position in the water where they have no idea where their body's at in space you're like get your head down well rel- <laughs> relative to what hold your head still well right stiller than than what you know like rigid and and, and so there, there's all these qualifiers that go with it and so i think that's Part of the problem with coaching is, is the language we end up using, you know, it makes sense to us, but it doesn't mean it's going to make sense to every single kid in, in the room. You know, again, it's like, um, like our friend Mildred always say, like kicking has a thousand different meanings. You know, so, some kids, they grew up playing soccer. Kicking yeah. soccer is a lot different. Kicking your brothers, kicking taekwondo or kicking the water. All a lot different than one another. Right. And yet we're using the same word and just, yeah, they'll, they'll figure that out. You know, and, and it is it's one where it, it experimentation, like we've always said, is kind of the way to go. But having the time and the facility space to go, yeah, go experiment, you know, and, and also having the parents have patience enough to go, oh, yeah, they're just working stuff out. Well, right. it kind of looks like they're just, you know, floating around on kickboards and throwing stuff. So, right. Yeah, they're doing that, too, I guess. <laughs> that's a natural byproduct.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. I, I think that's all, um. I I I I'll be really interested to see how this stuff develops and how the stuff that if we bring it all the way back to Popovich and then we'll transition out of it. How you know he's going to certainly mature like any any person would. Um, getting into his you know get turning eighteen, getting into his twenties and stuff. His body is going to change, um, and just seeing how his stroke maybe changes or how parts of it work really well for him as that stuff happens. I think that's, that's super fascinating. And, um, I will be really interested to, um, see, and it's, um, it's just overall, it's, it's really exciting. I mean, we joke about people wanting to watch podcasts and now we can definitely give Popovich a title in this, um and you know get the views i think given our given our
2: conversation but it is exciting it is like I think really it'd be, super exciting uh, yeah and interesting. i think it'd be interesting <laughs> to, i think so many times too as coaches were like well let, let's get the workouts you know let's get the workouts from this it, timing is seven to eight all the way up because it's something like you know i can just i'll just xerox that and we'll we'll put these out and we'll re, we'll just repeat that and we'll just start churning these guys out right and really the thing is like you know what's his background in movement? You know, as far as in the water, what's the movement? Because I think also I, I started teaching lessons again and got some kids in there that needed to get in the water. And so, um a lot of it is kind of like your, your body's always going to kind of has like a library and it's going to link back to whatever it's learned. And so, some of them kicking breaststroke looks like walking up a stairs, you know, because that's that's what they know until they figure something else out. So a guy like this who's again is is so athletic in the water, you're kind of like what what what's the, what's his background to make these changes like he has because we pointed out before the olympics whereas the start was like yeah you know right. what would you say elite level no, no. his turns elite level no mm-hmm. his swim is elite and now it's like now he's hitting on those things and there's still a little probably room for improvement but still it's like now all these things are coming together and to make those changes is it, it like you said it's pretty exciting to watch and it's also interesting to know you know how some people are able to make these changes and how some people like for whatever reason they can't get past it. We've talked about like the analogy of a uh, skill kneel throwing free throws. How come he couldn't just figure that out at some point you know and right. it's like, well, he couldn't obviously he would have if he could. and so that's the well, interesting thing about movement like this. I think Rick Barry so,
0: tried to teach him the underhand
2: yeah that yeah, was going going an, for
0: a while. <laughs> he had too big of an ego to do the underhanded free throws so.
2: and and that <laughs> Actually, that goes into swimming too. One you know I, i've seen I, there's there's, there's
0: definitely a swimming analogy there yeah <laughs>
2: well, well, yeah the one of the things like um i remember like uh, bill boomer used to hang out at, at the pool at phillips a little bit when they were doing these uh, the videos and he would talk about some of the swimmers he was working at stanford with and so the, they would come in at like you know probably ranked you know top five in the world in a certain event and he's like almost all of them would like you know when you first meet him like who are you no i'm we're not working on my freestyle like Hey, why don't we work on your butterfly a little bit? And so you always would take the approach of like, because it is that ego becomes something too, where you're like, this is what's worked for me. This is what's got me to here. I'm going to protect this. Oh, you want to work on breaststroke? I'm not a breaststroker. You know, again, we start the stereotypes. I'm a sprint freestyler. I'm a sprint flyer. Like, yeah, butterfly. I'm not that. So sure. If it gets me out of a main set, I can do some bobs over here let's do it. And, and that was kind of the way that he would end up, end up, you know, by getting them faster than that event, gain trust to go into another event, but also kind of let the, the ego kind of calm down a little bit. Like, Oh, this is someone I can go to for information. Yeah.
0: Speaking of ego, um, somebody that we've given a really hard time on this podcast. So this is my personal anecdote, um, that I wanted to share on this one. I was thinking today about some, we were all thinking about stuff that that's happened, um, while we've been away. And and actually, we've recorded a, a podcast since then, but I've been thinking a lot about it. Um, I was at the Futures Championship in uh, Geneva, Ohio, and I ran into friend of the pod. Not not
2: not Switzerland?
0: No, no. Okay. I've <laughs> okay. actually not been to Geneva, Switzerland, but I have been to Geneva, Ohio. Um, All right.
2: Which and, is the Switzerland of the Midwest.
0: Yeah, I think it's... Um, Definitely the Switzerland of Lake Erie. Yes. yes. Um, And I ran into the friend of the podcast, Mike Murray. And we had a delightful time talking to each other all the way through the meet. Um, And I just I want to mention that because I think probably even though I put in plenty of qualifiers when we did a podcast, giving him a hard time about um, changing around what was going on with his club, I have never had a personal interaction, like one-to-one interaction with Mike Murray that I haven't enjoyed on some level. We have plenty of things that we disagree about. Um, I mean, I'm like watching him post pictures from ASCO with all sorts of people that I'm like, no, thank you. But um, on a on a interpersonal level, person-to-person level, actually we really connected really well. And and I think more than anything, um, the subject that we connected on, and that I found a lot of resonance with him was um, just like coach well-being and uh, looking out for yourself as a coach, sort of prioritizing um, your own health first in a lot of coaching situations. And um, uh, we had a long time just uh, spent talking about this, and I know I, I can see um, that it is actually something quite important to him, and that he's um, on uh, on the same up and down journey that I think probably a lot of listeners of this podcast are, and I know certainly I am with that kind of stuff. So um, my, my very short uh, personal anecdote is actually a positive shout out in Mike Murray's direction. And um, maybe just, maybe if he could just stop admiring some people that I don't think are worth admiring, We could be,
1: we could be totally copacetic. (laughs) This is going to have to be an agree to disagree. Uh Yeah, thing. So. I think
0: if you met him in real life, Eric, I think no, I don't disagree.
1: I mean, I, I you know, I saw, yeah, it came out
0: like you're anti podcast. Mike on that. Yeah, you yeah. did sound a little like
1: that was not me.
2: I'm gonna it's, have to defend like you it, next time I see go him. Go back and edit it. Yeah, Show me the receipts. go, go Show back me the and receipts look.
1: where I was. You said agree.
0: Says, I, I just made a positive comment about Mike Murray, and you said agree to disagree.
1: Yeah,
2: that sounds. The implication there is that
0: you disagree, and you have only negative things to say about Mike Murray.
2: Yeah, seems like a good
1: dude. You and Mike can agree to disagree on specific people that he admires that you do not. Don't try to twist my words. I
0: actually thought that's what you were saying, so now I understand what you're saying. It, it came so off. I'm like glad that. I gave. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I gave you a hard yeah. time
2: so we could get that explained. Yeah, we actually brought that up because it did yeah. come off like that. Go. Ahead, you can look at the receipt. It's in there. <laughs> it's like, dang, that I did buy that. I didn't mean to. I'm glad there's a return policy. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys I don't
0: I don't expect you to have much to say about my interaction with Mike Murray. And then I don't know if Joel it's, did an anecdote or not, or whether him just talking about that was my for for a yeah, while was his yeah, anecdote. Led, he led into the he okay. led into the anecdotal
1: evidence that I was going <laughs> okay. to present today. Okay, I got it. the um,
0: you guys did a great job planting that together.
1: Yeah, oh, no, no idea Joel was going to try to steal my thunder, but I am yeah. glad I was able to kind of jump no, in no, no, and, no. It and run with it. So. You're like the
2: color commentator. I was just saying what's out there, and then you you throwing back into your Super Bowl days, you know, what, what it takes to yeah. throw a receiver open. Well, and... <laughs> yep, back to
1: the days in the huddle.
2: Yeah. So. All right, well, good podcast. Thanks no, 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 I have one last no. thing. No, oh. no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. I have one last thing. Some other people you hung out with that no, like, no. you found out that you like more than you? Used <laughs> yeah, to?
0: I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to actually name drop everybody that I talked with at Futures. It's so not like you, you tag just, these yeah,
2: in there. Or if, like if you how can start Joel, so Joel, you just, Joel
1: just happened to drop like. When I traveled to Tanzania.
0: Right, right. That one time well, that you know well, when you know to, when you go to Tanzania and you watch the wild animals know. on the Serengeti run, you guys know how that is. Well, but as you, as guys, are does, looking, you guys are looking
2: you guys are looking for more people to like watch this. If you if you like link Tanzania, that's at least one, which is now we've quadrupled just about I can get them
1: to turn away. Look what my therapist gave me to oh, to read. God. Oh my god.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh,
2: yeah. All right, it's a great
1: podcast. No.
0: I have something Murray, else to say.
1: Murray, Murray Sides introduction to Map of the Soul by Carl Jung.
0: But I all think right. actually we can tag, I will just say I've, I've one more t- thing to say and then another Carl thing to Young. say. We can yeah. we can probably tag Jung and <laughs> um, t- t- Tanzania as well, because nobody has, yeah. as far as I can tell, said anything objectionable about Tanzania that's gonna get right. angry Tanzanian commenters. Right. Like like another situation that we won't mention, Um, and but I was doing research today, and I just feel the need to bring this up because I brought it up to you guys and you didn't say almost anything. But I feel it's it's
2: probably we're just hoping you forget whatever this quote (laughs) research.
0: I was doing my research. Yeah, for loaded
1: up Wikipedia.
0: Yeah, I got on Wikipedia for yeah exactly that's what I did today. Okay, you know what? And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm actually proud of myself for doing that. Okay, so I was on there and I was looking because I, you know, when we're going to do this thing next week, I want to do. I think sort of entry stakes to even be compared. Are we getting
2: to the point of this, or is this? I think entry stakes to be compared to
0: Popovich as a junior swimmer is that you broke a world record under the age or at at junior age. So I was trying to find like how many men ever, you know, have broken a world record in swimming. And I'm only looking from like 1950 on. And I stumble across this South African swimmer, supposedly. I mean, I don't think actually, I think he's a real South African swimmer, but I'm, I'm very deeply, deeply confused about his Wikipedia page. He's um, Jeremy Reingold. He has an extremely intimidating photo. And that's why Joel didn't want me to bring him up. Yeah. Um, on the podcast because he's he's scared of him he also apparently played rugby this is the part where I'm I'm wondering if it's really true it says in the second line of his biography in 1980 at 12 years of age he set the world record in the 200 meter long course individual medley at 20301 in Cape Town now this this um, statement has four citations none of which to me actually proved that a 12 year old from South Africa did this record in 1980. And just just to set the context for people, if this were true, if this were true, this would mean that this 12 year old in 1980 swam 10 seconds faster than the current US national age group record for that event. Okay, and never got faster, and and was never heard from again. Now, 19, remember, 1980, we are talking about an era where South Africa was likely excluded from lots of major international competitions, right, because of apartheid at that time. So it is a particular time and place where it's conceivable. So I'm I'm trying to figure out which parts of this story are accurate and which parts of it are, are not, um, Craig Lord, if you're out there, we, we need your help because you might you're be the tag, only tag person. Craig Lord. Yeah, Craig t- Lord. Uh, please Craig. I, I, the part of this, I do believe that there was a swimmer from South Africa named Jeremy Ryan Gold who broke a world record in swimming in 1980. That part of it. I, I, I can believe is true. I don't really know, to be honest, this is the first time I've ever noticed this and I can't tell whether I'm just getting old and never noticed it before or whether this is like a fake thing that has been just like passed along on the internet. Wait, you're, you're and just, saying
2: that there's fake stuff possibly on the internet?
0: I'm telling you that you can't oh. trust everything you read on the internet, but I am 100% Whoa. not buying that a 12-year-old South African swam the world record in the 200 IM. And if he's mad about it, I would be happy to furnish him with Joel's address so he can go beat him up. Okay. Yeah. Because as we all know, my objectionable opinions are directly attributable to Joel and they're not really, I'm like a parrot that just says things that Joel no. tells me off. No,
2: like. Chris, you're actually like the, uh, the short annoying friend that hangs out in a bar that gets all of his other buddies punched. Somehow <laughs> right. someone else gets punched in the face because he goes up and he's like, Hey, uh, that guy over there just said this. What? Wham. Like, geez, I don't know why that guy punched you like that, Eric. It's crazy. You should go hit him back.
0: Yeah. So there we go. I'm I'm casting doubt. If anybody listening to this podcast knows how Jeremy, a 12-year-old swimmer named Jeremy Reingold, who is apparently also a professional uh rugby player, and is mentioned in several articles because he's married to an obstacle racing obstacle course racing champion. Um. yeah anybody knows how this thing came to be or what parts of the story are true or whether the entire thing is not true i would love to hear from you and i would love was to she on american gladiators up. i was gonna say the
1: first thing that came to my mind was like
0: karina marx
2: never mind have a good podcast all right thanks see ya <laughs> thanks guys Bye. bye Bye-bye.